What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> it, it's tough to land a five pounder. I yeah. mean, you can have yeah. 20 pound braid. It's tough to get a five pound fish in. Well, I'll tell you what. You guys want to go ahead and just jump into yeah, it? Sure. I know you'd per much prefer to talk fishing. Oh, I'll talk whatever you want to talk. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, we've got a reason to be here today. So I'm Chase Winnaker, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everybody's enjoying Christmas season. It's been, been a wonderful time of year. It's coming up on us so fast. Yep. Doesn't it feel like deer season just started? I know. Like it should be like and it's over now. October the 20th. <laughs> just about it feels. I hope it's not over because i got two tags left to fill. I went ahead and bought the <laughs> yeah. bonus tags, and at this point, Last year I bought them and I didn't fill either one of them. I went on five hunts and somehow didn't take a deer. But this year, I'm, I'm, I mean, my stuff's in the car. I might be out there in two hours. You nice. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But our guest today, Gabe Jenkins, you've already heard his voice a few times. Gabe, you've been on with us before. It's a pleasure to be on here, guys, and always always good to chat and talk talk hunting and fishing. Yeah, hunting and fishing is fun. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, your job title might have changed since the last time you, you were on with us. Yeah. So a quick rundown of, of who you are and what you do. Right now, currently, Deputy Commissioner, the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, a former deer and elk program coordinator, mm -hmm. and uh, you're also the CWD lead, correct? Yep, that's correct. Kind of done a lot of different things, deer and elk and I&E. It's been a, mm -hmm. been a great career. No, it seems like it's been fun. And you've yep. been, you know, very hands-on your entire career from deer and elk biologist, deer and elk program coordinator, you know, I've seen you in the field working with these mm -hmm. animals. I know you're a hunter, someone who cares about yep. the resources, probably more so than anything, right? I mean, I feel Absolutely like you're the first. You're one yep. of those guys, and I consider myself the same way, and Lee, one of those guys who, who works here because they, they love what we do out, outdoors, outside of these office doors, right? <laughs> and that's why you have the job, because let's be honest, you could be doing something else, but mm -hmm. you love this. So the reason we're here to talk today, just straight up front with it, is CWD, right? We got a positive case here in Kentucky, mm -hmm. and I want, you're the export, expert, Gabe, I wanna hear what you have to say, what you, have, what you think about this, and kind of where we're going. But first, I feel like it's important to give a quick rundown on how we got to this point. Right, so a great intro, you know, chronic wasting disease. It's a disease that we've been looking for my entire career. Um, it's a always fatal neurological disease that affects deer species. So the, the species we're really concerned about, deer and elk here in Kentucky, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've not found it. We, like I said, we've been looking for it. Um, it really kind of came to the forefront for us as an agency in 2002 when it jumped the kind of from went from the west to the east and they found it in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And so that really kind of pushed a lot of discussions, pushed a lot of uh, research in the eastern U.S. And, and, and really what pumped the brakes on us for the elk restoration project. You know, traditionally we were going to bring more than uh, more elk in than what we did, but because we found CWD in the east, we were we were cautious and didn't want to bring any more in. So. Um, kind of all over the place there, but but ultimately, it's it's a disease. There's no treatment. There's no cure. Um, and no it's always test. fatal. No live test, and, it, and it's kind of crazy disease on how it works and how it affects affects critters. And uh, it's one of those that you just don't want it. And we've spent a lot of time and effort over the years looking for it, and we've been fortunate to not find it until now. And we're the 32nd state to detect the disease. And you know we've we've we get to learn from all of our sister agencies on their successes and failures. And you know, lots of people like to criticize the state of Wisconsin for for improperly managing the disease, but they they didn't have anybody to learn from. They were writing the book, 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, we have to look at all the other states and things that they've tried and they've done and what's been successful and what's mm-hmm. not. And it's not apples to oranges, you know, Wisconsin, and, or it's apples to oranges in a lot of cases, Wisconsin to Kentucky or West Virginia to Kentucky. We've got parts of the state that might look like some of those states, but not really. So yeah. we kind of learn from that and we're going to, we're going to do the very best we can to try to manage the disease. And what we want to do is to find where it is and hopefully slow its spread. Um, you know, the ultimate would be, would be to completely eradicate it. Uh, there's been one state that's been successful, and that was New York. Um, and then also in the upper peninsula of Michigan, they found it, and it appears they eradicated it there. So there are some positive things out there that states have been successful, and there have been some like that have really slowed its progression. So time will tell uh, how we how we do. So you you said quite a bit there, and one of the things you said was that it was an interesting disease and in how it affected critters. And it, correct me if I'm wrong here, Gabe, but essentially it's a it's a mutated or a folded protein called a prion, mm-hmm. right? And it affects them in their brain and their central nervous system, so spine. Yep. And essentially, and this is where I might be wrong. <clears throat> the way I understand it is those proteins get broken down by the body after they're used. They're essentially messengers, and the body breaks them down and dissolves them. But the, the prions, the CWD ones, can't be broken down by the body. Correct. So they essentially build up. Mm-hmm. So what you end up with is a deer's brain or spine and or spine that is essentially just clogged up. Yep. Right? Is that how it works? Essentially, um, you know, you, you, you hit all the right terms there, but it's a misfolded protein. For some reason, and we don't understand why, the body is making proteins. It knows how to make them and it knows how to dissolve them and create new ones. For some reason, it, it misfolds and it's not made correctly. And then you introduce something that the body doesn't know how to handle and it can't, it can't dissolve it and get rid of it. And so what happens is that that prion protein is now in the central nervous system and it, as it interacts with other proteins, it basically denatures that protein as well and it bumps into it and it creates more. And then it just develops through time where you have more and more of these abnormal proteins that are building up in the central nervous system and starting to create holes in the brain and deteriorates the brain and the spinal cord. So because that's a slow build, that's one of the challenges with CWD is it it takes up to three years to kill the deer. Is that right? Yeah. So just in showing symptoms from exposure till you can look at that deer or that elk and say that thing probably has something wrong with it. Mm a year, 18 months. Yeah, just and, to show symptoms? Just to show symptoms. And, um, you know, there's a lot of research that's going into CWD, but you know, for, at what point is it exposed until it starts? You know, how much, how much of the proteins does it take to be, uh, to get the disease? We don't really understand that. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a virus, it's not a bacteria, it's not something you can kill. And the only way you can really affect it is by denaturing it. So essentially changing its makeup. And that's done by, by al- alkaline digester or a really hot temperature mm-hmm. and from an incinerator to, to denature it to where it's not infectious anymore. At what point is a deer, because I mean, they, it's not a virus, it's a disease, we said that, but it is contagious. So a deer can spread it from one to another mm-hmm. and they can do that through licking, just touching similar things, dying and just being on the landscape after, you know, a yep. deer's deceased, its bones are there, or CWD is still there, right? So it, it passes in a lot of different forms. It's mainly through a fluid of mm-hmm. some sort. So blood, saliva, spinal material, just the decomposition of the brain and spinal cord. And then we know if that animal dies and then it, it decomposes, it, it 
last or persist in the environment for a while in the soils it can actually be uptaken by plants and then that that infectious material can be in plant material then another deer could come along and eat you know we're still learning on some soils seem to hold that that prion better some it seems to get out of the system quicker and same with the grass some grasses and plants take it up better and some don't so there are lots of different ways that it can be infectious um, just directly from the carcass and from the the behavior of deer but also you know if they were feeding on a common feeding on a common food source and just the saliva of that mm -hmm. and, and why one of the things you see a lot of state agencies do is is not to allow feeding and baiting is because you've ever seen a deer at a corn pile it's eating deer it's eating corn and, and corn's falling out of its mouth and saliva's all over and we know saliva is very infectious Mm -hmm. And so that saliva is then coated on a piece of corn. It falls back into the, the spot where all the other corn is. Another deer comes along and eats it. Mm -hmm. And so you're increasing your, your risk by doing that. And yeah, there's the arguments, well, what about food plots or what about mineral licks? And those are all, yeah, those are all sources of potential contamination. But many of those aren't directly resulted from a hunter putting it on the landscape. Mm -hmm. We can't control what deer do. They're going to naturally lick and and be around be around each other and pass the disease that way. But what we're looking for is ways to slow the transmission by our behaviors as hunters and, and landowners. So we've kind of covered what the disease is. We know where it was first found out west, and that was in the '60s or something. Mm -hmm. right? '60s, yep. And so it came to Wisconsin, crossed, jumped that border like you were talking about, made it to the eastern U.S. in 2002. That's when we developed our CWD response mm -hmm. plan, right? Correct. Because I know I've heard several times we've had this plan for 20 years mm -hmm. and over 20, so 2002 makes perfect sense. And then, um, so coming up to current, you know, we've, people in Kentucky probably first started hearing more about CWD when we established a CWD surveillance zone in far west Kentucky, because right. that's when we really upped our communication. That's when we had an ask from the public, from the hunters, where we need your help with something. So mm -hmm. that's when we really started hitting people with information. So how did we get to that point? There was a positive case or yep. we, you know, we were informed of a positive case in Henry County, Tennessee, eight miles over the border. We set up that surveillance zone. T take me from that point in time to where we are now. So correct, and that was you know, for Kentuckians, that's really when it kind of came to the forefront. Our plan called for a response or an action from our agency, if we found it in the state, but right on our, bo on our borders or on our doorstep. And this is what happened in Tennessee, just a couple miles south of Callaway County, TWRA informed us they found a, a positive, CWD positive deer. So that, at that point, you know, right on our border, very much within the home range of a deer, it's, it's got a high likelihood that it could be in the state as well. Mm -hmm. So that happened in the fall of, of, I guess it was September of 2021. And we essentially enacted our response plan in that area, just like we'd found it in the state. Mm -hmm. And we created a, a, a five-county CWD surveillance area at that point, implemented a handful, of, a handful of restrictions, and then also mandatory check stations through the modern gun season, and really increased our sampling and our sampling effort in those five counties to see if we could, if we could find the disease. And did that work pretty well on our end? I mean, the, that sampling effort and the surveillance zone mm -hmm. that we had set up? So, you know, once again, another great question, and, and it absolutely did. You know, we, we really hit the ground hard in 2021 and, and got thousands of samples out there and didn't detect the disease. And same in Tennessee. Tennessee's sampling and doing that as well. They have not found any additional sense. 
And then you know, 2021, we, we were a lot. We scaled back a little bit of our effort in 22 and still got a, a great sample that met all of our harvesting and strategy goals to, to make sure we were sampling at the right level. And then same in, in this year in 2023, we cut back even more because we, we weren't finding it. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what we were hoping to find is that if, if we go in and intensively sample, and when I say intensively sample, that's collecting samples from deer hunters. It's not our agency or our staff going in and shooting deer or, or taking deer. It's literally just working with our hunters and, and getting samples from them. And you know we, we feel pretty good that if the disease is on the landscape at a very high prevalence, we would have found it by now. Mm. So it's, it's probably really, really low if it's there. Oh yeah, well I think when I was reading through, well the CWD, response plan is available on the department's website mm -hmm. and actually when you walked in that's i was looking mm -hmm. over the bullet points and it's actually broken down for you know there's different sections if a cwd is detected in a free-ranging survey in this in the state yep here's what we do that starts on page eight that's the situation we're now in because of the news that recently came to light so i was reading that but first so we got the surveillance zone and we did that intense monitoring there and we didn't find the disease in 2021 2022 2023 so far press release yep. went out last week i think the press release went out last thursday mm -hmm. we found the disease yep how did that so we we have really two forms of cwd surveillance right now in the state one is the focus in that five county zone and then we have just routine statewide surveillance where we're collecting samples in every county all across the state we're getting those samples from hunters, taxidermists, processors, picking up roadkill, responding to sick deer calls that people call us or we get reports from, and, and testing all those. And this specific uh, deer in Ballard County was not in our five county surveillance zone, but it was close. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it was, we collected it through that routine surveillance and uh, ran it through our, our center and pulled the sample and lo and behold, it was positive. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, it basically our surveillance program is working. It, it found it even when we were not focusing in a certain place. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, at that point we, we use a lab in, in here in Kentucky and uh, they called us and said, you know, it's preliminary positive, it's, it, it, it's good. And so we, we send that to another lab, a secondary lab, for a different type of test for confirmation. So I, looked used, at, I think our, maybe you mentioned this earlier today in the comms meeting, but is that lab in Idaho or Iowa? It's in Iowa. Uh, yeah, Iowa? so it's the National Veterinary Services so it's Lab. It's basically a split sample like you would do oh. thoroughbred 100%. Two, two completely independent labs, two, two very different tests. Yeah and both came back with the same result. So the one of, in of Murray positive. is the ELISA test? The ELISA test, yes, sir. And that's Murray, Kentucky is where mm -hmm. the first sample went. They called us, they said, hey, this thing came back hot for CWD. Yep. So then we sent the second sample to the, the national lab, and you said Iowa? In Iowa, yes. In Iowa, and sure enough, they're different tests. Because the mm -hmm. first one is like just cutting it or... It's a, it's a more of a screening test, but it's very sensitive. And there are lots of states that that's just, they that's, you know, they get a positive with that test, it's good to go. They go ahead and release that. But for for us as our first test, we wanted to be absolutely sure that this animal was positive. And, you know, the states can have, can set up their own testing regime and testing protocols. Mm -hmm. There's the USDA kind of recommendations and we follow those as well, just another set of standards. And they require this IHC or 
uh, this test that we used through the MVSL lab in Iowa to for confirmation. And that's what we did as well. So essentially, and I just keep on saying what you've already said again, just to, to make sure I'm up to speed on it. So we, we covered all that, the CWD surveillance zone. We had two different forms of monitoring. Through one of those, we found CWD. We were informed of it, I'm assuming, last week. Mm -hmm. Because I, when, I, honestly, when I say I'm assuming we found out about it last week, it's because it was in the CWD response plan I looked at. Yeah. It said within 48 hours of finding out the positive, this will happen. Yep. And so I'm, a, I'm sure that within 48 hours of that positive is when that press release went out, is when the ridge storm, because we're following that plan. And it clearly detailed, this is the time period. So it's also a reportable disease. Mm -hmm. And so it's one that all state agencies and, and, and wildlife professionals uh, track. And so once it's positive, a press release goes out from NVSL saying there's a positive sample in Kentucky. So that really triggers a lot of movement at that point and mm -hmm. why we had the plan, why we have all those things ready uh, to be able to inform all of our folks because we want to be the lead on that, but also knowing that, you know, there's some things going on there yeah. as well. So the, uh, I will say, you know, so obviously we pick that sample up from the hunter didn't turn it into us. He just took his deer to a processor or a, a taxidermist or something mm -hmm. like that. And and then, of course, the taxidermist doesn't need lymph nodes to mount that deer so we can go get those or the processor, whoever it was. But that came back positive. That hunter, I'm sure, was informed too, right? Yep. Yeah. So there a lot of phone calls were made in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Most of the resources, <laughs> yeah. talking to the hunter, getting some information from them, you know, setting their mind at ease and, and asking some basic questions about the animal to, to kind of give us a better or more clear picture of, of what we're dealing with. And, and I'll say the hunter has been uh, very supportive and helpful with us and very thankful for them and, and being a good partner. And that's uh, that's great to be able to do that with mm -hmm. them. Just about our effort, I will say this. I was down at Western Kentucky WMA not long ago. And when I drove to Western Kentucky WMA and I came back, I was passing dead deer on the side of the road, right? Because yep. I'm driving right through down the park. <laughs> the right heart there. of it. Mm -hmm. And I did not see a dead deer with its head attached. Okay, I'm telling you that I could just clearly, by driving down the interstate, see that our, our folks have been out there collecting samples. Yeah, so it's definitely a blend. Our folks are collecting some of them, and I'm sure there are some oh, yeah. that, like, oh, that thing's got a nice set of antlers, and yeah, it pulls over yeah. and swipes them. But, you know, we, we definitely work very hard to collect those those roadkill animals. And, I hadn't even thought about it's, that. It's definitely a, a mix between the two. For some reason in my mind, when I saw them all missing their heads, I was just thinking to myself, man, our guys have been hard at it. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to take credit for all that in our staff, yeah. but we're not, we're not the 100% I've seen some uh, pictures of those, before so. of uh, like beside yep. bridge crossings in Kentucky, look down, there's three mm -hmm. years with no head on. Yeah, yep. it happens. Yep. So, <laughs> like, hmm, wonder why that happened. <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah. So, just in a nutshell, CWD, what it is, came to the eastern U.S. Response plan was created here in Kentucky to prepare for it. 21 years after that, boom, a positive pops yeah. up in Ballard County. So now the big question, and this is probably what everybody who, like me, is, is a, a deer hunter, wants to know is where do we go from here? Yeah, now what? And that's what we're, we're hoping to be able to, to share and inform with, with our hunters soon. Um, you know, what I'll say is the response plan kind of outlines what we normally do. Um, you can also look at our response from the Tennessee positive and kind of gauge that's probably where we're headed. Uh, but at this point, we're still gathering a lot of facts and, and looking at a holistic approach. Yeah. And what I've always yeah. said right out of the gate is don't panic. Yeah. Don't panic. We, we want we want the best for this resource. We want our hunters to continue to hunt. We want to have a great deer herd in the future. And so this is a, a long-term management strategy for us. 
And so right now, the, the things that we're doing is, you know, we're doing an epidemiological investigation. Yeah, so I looking, to ask you about that. Yeah, so looking at kind of the genetics of that deer, um, that's what will be the focus. It won't be something fast that we'll get, but what we want to be able to do is, is look at the genetic makeup of that deer and to see, is it a local deer? Or did it by chance come from somewhere else? I mean, it do was. Do you think it could have swam the river? Yeah, oh, the they river all, all definitely can swim the oh, rivers. Um, that thing swim yeah. that river. It, I mean, it can, well, I, I've, I've been over the Ohio <clears throat> and the Mississippi recently. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of the bridge going right by the point of Illinois, in the middle of the Ohio, I looked down, you could see a sandbar yeah. in the middle yeah. of the river. It's that it's, shallow. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a barrier, low. definitely a barrier, but is it a huge barrier? No. And we know they trade back and forth. And being in Ballard. I'm seeing them swim across Lake Omar. It could easily come across the Mississippi there, or it could have come across, Mississippi, yeah. yeah. Could, have, could have come across from the Ohio and, and moved south on the Ohio River. It could have come out of Tennessee. Or it could have just been a deer that was born right there and it got exposed by another deer. Yeah. We don't know that. And so we need to work through that. We're in the middle of the season right now. We have hundreds of samples of over a thousand samples still pending mm -hmm. that we've collected statewide. And um, so those will be back by February. Yeah, so the next couple months, we know Tennessee is still sampling, Missouri is still sampling, Illinois is still sampling. We didn't want to make a, a hasty knee-jerk reaction say we're going to do this right now and then the landscape look a lot different in a few weeks. Yeah. And being at you know the end of December, for the most part, deer season is over, mm -hmm. especially in Ballard County. I mean, that's our waterfowl mecca. They're, mm -hmm. they're trying to shoot ducks right now, yeah. even there's not a lot of water. Uh, so there's just traditionally a very low harvest. If you look at the average harvest for the rest of the year in that county, you're looking at 15 to 25 deer. Yeah. And so with the glory of Telecheck, we know everybody who checks a deer, we can have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. Hey, would you oh. let us get a sample? Hadn't thought about ha that. Have yeah. that. Have that time to educate them, and what a great opportunity to talk to us yeah. and get the right information with our hunters who are on the ground working, living, not working, but living and potentially living and hunting in Ballard County right now. I, so we're going to get our sample still. I had not thought of it because I hadn't heard that number. I, like you know, I kind of knew that. Okay, we're over halfway through my or through late muzzleloader season at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Harvest is going to be pretty small, but I had not heard the. 15 to 25 number. Very low. And that makes perfect sense because you really can pick up the phone and call somebody yep. when, when they kill a deer and potentially go get that sample without affecting all of the public who might mm -hmm. not be getting deer. And you know, and, and so we'll do that in Ballard County and then on some of the surrounding counties. So McCracken and Graves and Carlisle as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we're already sampling in Graves from the, the Tennessee outbreak. So Graves is in great shape as far as sampling goes. The other couple counties, we're, we're going to work to try to get some more samples. Missouri and Illinois are positive, correct? Yep, Missouri and Illinois both have it. Um, Illinois is to the north, the very northern part of Illinois. Uh, Missouri, fairly close. Mm -hmm. um, where they where they have it is in the 50-mile range from, from Ballard County. Mm. So Ballard is close, yeah. yes. And, you know, if you look at the Tennessee positive to where this this general vicinity is in Ballard County, and then compare it to the Missouri closest known positive, and where this is is actually closer to Missouri. Hmm. So, hmm. it's interesting. Hmm. This is completely off topic, but we were talking a second ago about can a deer swim the river? Mm -hmm. And MSU Deer Lab, uh, Mississippi State University, yep. they do a really good job with, I think they do from just a public, you know, looking at their Instagram and whatnot of the deer data. And they have collared, radio collared bucks, 
And they, I remember they posted this one time and it was several different bucks, maybe like 10 different bucks they had radio colored. And one of them just wouldn't cross that river. Yeah. The other ones would. And it was just an individual thing. For some reason that deer wouldn't swim. it. So, I mean, they're, they're kind of individuals. And to Gabe's point, a deer, like most deer, might live in a five or 10 mile square their whole life. I don't know how big it actually is. You can correct me, Gabe. And then some deer, might decide to up and walk 100 miles one day. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it really is crazy. We like to put wildlife in a box and say they do this. Yeah. That is not the case. And there are some that are, you got some that are lovers, you got some that are fighters, you got some that are homebodies and lazy, and some that like to travel. Yeah. And then you have some that might just pick up and travel and never do it again. Mm -hmm. And why they do what they do, it's just fascinating. And one of the reasons why I love this job is that they just do things it's like, what is, what, why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. Who did they take with them? Why do they know what, what's that, what's the point of that movement? And so we know that you see a, a, on a whitetail, especially you see a dispersal when they're a year old, year and a half old, traditionally, how far that is, it depends. Mm -hmm. You see dispersal sometimes on a doe when, when she's a year old. And then you also have these kind of forays or travels that they make during the breeding season. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll move and stay. Some, a lot of times it's just a foray out and back to their home range. So it's, you know, but all those movements for us affect disease and transmission of disease. Because if that animal's sick, it's taking the disease mm -hmm. with it mm -hmm. and bringing it back or potentially getting exposed on its trip mm -hmm. out. And so trying to understand those movements and those movement patterns helps us potentially predict mm -hmm. disease movement as well. And all that kind of to say that <clears throat> at this point in time, it's impossible to know where the steer came right. from. We just know where it was. And and, yeah. and, know, and we're just talking about the deer, yeah. right? So there's the whole component of us as hunters. And unfortunately, a lot of times we've not been real great on thinking about how we're potentially moving diseases by the harvest of our critters. Mm -hmm. So if we harvest a deer and you, know, you pick a county and then you you bring it home, you, you process it three or four counties away, and then you pitch it on the landscape, that animal had specifically CWD, you've now moved CWD mm -hmm. quicker. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you see in those five county zones where we have a restriction on the carcass movement. So we want those carcasses to stay in the local area because it's, it's infected as potentially as well. So I have two questions here. Um, so, so basically as far as, what's to come i kind of want to know what the goal is you know and uh but essentially first before we get to the goal uh, what what is staff what is the department specifically going to be doing at this point forward and then what will hunters need to expect so for our staff right now a lot of it is just collecting a, a bunch of data to try to make a informed recommendation for the 2024 season mm -hmm. so you know doing that genetic analysis um, increasing our samples looking at where those samples came from and the proximity to where this deer was. Um, and then... Um, That's all, I, I don't mean to cut you no, off, but good. just reading the, the response plan, there are numbers in there that are specifically given. A 95%, um, what was it, 95% essentially accuracy that the prevalence is less than a certain amount. So it's not like we're just saying that we're we're increasing our sampling, right. but there is like a specific quota. Or There's a very precise formula that we use. We want to be 90% confident that the disease is 1% or less in prevalence. Mm -hmm. And so what we then do is you look at your density of how many deer we estimate are in the population and come up with a, a number. 
of, of samples. And so, you know, we have county estimates where we estimate the population um, at a county level, and we have those models. And that's part of this other thing is now staff are going to be boots on the ground mm -hmm. doing road counts and, and trying to get a on-the-ground count as well to compare those two density estimates to give us a feel for, you know what, population's probably at 15 deer per square mile or 20 deer per square mile. So that helps us establish a base. Then we use that to calculate a, a number that we want to go at as far as samples go. And then we also know through research and from other states, the, the older you are, as a deer goes, the more your chances of, of disease are increased. So oh, bucks too, right? older bucks, older <laughs> does. You, we all learned yeah, that yeah, lesson. Exactly, right? right? <laughs> so in this case, you know, a five-year-old doe is, is, is a, or six-year-old white buck is, is a great sample for us to get over a, a fawn. Mm -hmm. And so we actually have a, a, a weighted system is what we call it. So a kind of a point system where a number of points that we want to collect. And in this case, we could say we, we want to collect 300 points, but a, a five and a half year old male deer could be worth 10 points and a fawn might be worth one. And the so reason, a, a, a risk or a weight. The reason that they're worth more points is not just time on this earth, right? I mean, it's not just exponentially, okay, well, this deer has been alive for 10 times as long, so it's 10 times as like, but it's also the interaction. The, the yep. number of other deer that that older deer has interacted with, the number of miles that it might have it's traveled, mm -hmm. food sources it's munched on, it's just a much higher yep. likelihood that if the disease is in the area that that it's deer- got it. That the deer mm -hmm. has. So right. it's a, just a much more valuable sample as far as telling you what's actually going on. Well, and you know, and, so that's just that, mm -hmm. but it's also for us uh, fiscally responsible. And, you know, we have very limited funds. Mm -hmm. And would we like to test every animal? Absolutely. It's just not feasible, though. Mm -hmm. So why test a bunch of young deer that probably have a very, very low chance of having the disease versus a really old deer? So we try to focus on really going after those old deer or deer that are they're kind of sick behaving. Mm -hmm. Bang and, for and your that buck. Helps. Exactly. Oh, not, not Literally, you're using, you're using bang and buck right there. <laughs> yeah. So we're using all the, all the terms. I, I didn't even mean to do that. I'll, I'll take it. That's good. So, so our guys are out there working and, and doing, you know, collecting the samples, doing the deer density studies to, yep. to come up with, the, okay, how many samples do we need to accurately say this? What about the hunters? I mean, at this point in the year, it's kind of odd, like you mentioned yeah. already, that well, the hunting season's pretty much over unless you're a January bow hunter. You Correct. Know. So, you know, pretty much over at this point. And then we talked about the telecheck if they're successful. Um, one thing we'll do pretty quick is we'll host a public meeting down there and, and try to reach out to all of our landowners and hunters and try to get them in a, in a place to, to hear from them what they're thinking, what they'll support. And, and want them. we want them to come along with us and work with us and be a good partner. And so... Those, and then once we get all this stuff done, kind of setting the stage for 2024 mm -hmm. and, and making those recommendations, taking a hard look at, you know, the five-county CWD surveillance zone that we've already established and the sample numbers that we have and what, what our goals are going to be and, and make that recommendation in the spring sometime. Yeah. And I would, if somebody wanted to kind of look at what's on paper, I would suggest that they look at the CWD response plan, even though that, yep. I mean, like... It, it's somewhat flexible. Is that true? Yes, like, it's a, it's a hundred. I mean, it, it's flexible, but we want to say this is typically how we would we respond. And like I said, if you looked at those five counties that we res resulted in a response plan from Tennessee, 
we'll see a similar thing there as and well. Like when I say it's flexible, I, the reason I say that is because like obviously the time of the year that yeah. the sample came back positive is gonna alter, like if we would have got the sample in August or in September, I assume that we probably would have done things a little bit differently than we are getting it December, the whatever it was. Absolutely, and, and the plan is, you know, you try to think about every different contingency that, that could happen and you build that in, but there's sometimes it's outside the, the scope and we laughed today, I think it was Tyson that said, you know, you, when I step into the ring, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. like, all right, we took that punch, let's look at our plan. All right, mm -hmm. what, do we, what, do we, what do we need to do? What, what components of it make sense? And where do we need to deviate from it right now to get us through? And, and yeah. I think we've got a, a good plan in place to get us there. It probably matters too, just to me, that the positive sample was in Ballard County, which is a border county, yep. to, versus if it would have, let's just use Henry County or Franklin County mm -hmm. or Shelby County. Or Owen. Yeah, yeah, like any of the central Kentucky, it probably would have been a little bit different there too. 100% right? it would have been. And yeah. you know, we were already in the area. We already had staff in the area. I mean, like I touched on in Graves, Graves County is, is right there close. We've sampled the heck out of Graves County the last three years, and I'm very very comfortable with our data and what we've got there. So, uh, you know, it's kind of all isolated. If you want to look at our chances of potentially slowing it or even, you know, eradicating the disease in the purchase region, there's, there's a chance of that. You've kind of got that barrier out there mm -hmm. with the rivers around it, and, mm -hmm. and then the rivers to the, to the east of there. You know, we're hopeful that we can we can really slow it. That is kind of nice about that region, isn't it? Having the the Mississippi and the Ohio, and then having the Cumberland and the Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of it's. I mean, you look at that far little corner of Kentucky that doesn't make sense, and it's not that isolated. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as far as the state goes, it's a pretty well isolated section of the state. Yep. Just by natural barriers, I would say that maybe on the other side of Cumberland or I mean, Pine would be the only place. that little. Yeah, that little thing. I don't that, even know why that's Kentucky. That's New Madrid Bend. Yeah, the New Madrid, yeah. There's only Bend. X number of people. You've got to go there. into Tennessee to even get up mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, I remember because that was part of our CWD surveillance zone when yep. we initially, so we had that conversation about those people who were, you know, but it mm -hmm. turned out, and I think that you guys actually used Telecheck data during that time too. We're talking about, if you look at a map of Kentucky, there's this thing to the far left side, the far west, that isn't actually attached to Kentucky, but it's still Kentucky. Yeah, a lot of people think it's an island, but it's not. Yeah. It's, you got to go through Tennessee to get to, get to, to it. it. But it's the big bend there in the Mississippi. But If, uh, if memory serves correctly, that was created by the infamous earthquake of 1812. Probably. Yeah, that created uh, Real Foot Lake. Yep. And the really? uh, Mississippi River flowed backwards. A uh, whole entire islands disappeared. I mean, it was crazy. It, it made it made <laughs> church bells in Boston ring. It made people in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, unstable on their feet. Where were you at? Uh, I, I read a great book. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great book. It's all. I, I wasn't alive yet. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, my dad and I've always been kind of fascinated by it, yeah. and have often wondered, my God, with those big lakes, if that happened again. Yeah. But the, you know, it's kind of cool there. You can stand right there at the very southern part of that. And on your left, you see the river. And on your right, you see the river. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Like you don't expect to see the same river on both sides in one view. Yeah. Uh, but you, you sure can. It's a, it's a neat little spot there in the state. But I remember I was uh, back when the CWD, Henry County, Tennessee case first became a thing. I remember us having a conversation at a meeting about that island. Because yeah. technically, it's part of the surveillance zone. Mm -hmm. But you guys pulled... Um, telecheck data and or something you were able to pull the data and you were able to see okay there are three people that deer hunt 
and live there. Yep. So we'll just go talk to them yep. individually. And you did it that way too. And we, and we worked it out to where we were sampling that part of the state and, and worked with them to make sure they were in compliance with, with the rules and regulations we put in place. And yeah. we just had to make a few trips down to the little peninsula there and collect some samples over the, over the handful of years. Whatever you got to do. Yeah. So what's the ultimate goal here? What is our goal? At this point in time, we have a positive case in Ballard County. That's all we know. Mm -hmm. We're still gathering the data, but what would our goal be? So goal right now is to term, determine prevalence and, and extent of the, of the disease. That, that's really kind of where, where we're at focused at right now. Current goal is yep. that. Is that. And, and so depending on what we find, that changes the goals in the future. Is it eradicate? Can we eradicate it? Possibly? Can we not? You right. Know, you know, if like we that. if we do a lot of work and we got a lot of samples, and you know, this deer didn't come from here, and maybe it has genetics from Missouri or Tennessee, and it's po very possible that we could catch it early and, and slow it or completely eradicate it for now. And that has been possible. Done before. Has been done, um, or it could be established on the landscape, and so. It's going to take us a few years to really work through that data collection point to really determine what's our goal here mm -hmm. as far as, as, as a response to it. You know, ultimately, we want to get rid of it, but once it's established, we've seen it's, it's not possible. So, um, so that's, mm -hmm. that's our hope to, to slow the, the natural movement of the disease. So if you could, instead of, <clears throat> like goals can be looked at different ways. You can have, this is the goal and it's a hard goal, mm -hmm. right? As in like zero CWD and stuff. Yep. Or you can have an overreaching goal, which is essentially, I'm assuming, would just be to, I mean, I'm just pulling this out, but just to take care of the resource the best way we can, to still provide the best opportunity that we can and just kind of manage this disease or the resource however we have to to provide those things. I mean, yep. I don't know what that looks like, though. You know, it, it's going to have a lot of different <laughs> looks and feels to it, really. Um, out there, we're going to put restrictions more than likely on on the movements of those carcasses a lot of times it's just education we want our hunters to continue to hunt do what they've always always done but some it's things might look a little different it, yeah. uh, you know one of the things that immediately people get scared is yep. who did not i'm a should no one should fear eating the deer they harvested this year or anything like that, that no correct? no definitely not i wouldn't be afraid of that but i would say if I'm hunting in that area where CWD has been detected, I'm going to get it tested. Yeah. I'm going to get it tested before I eat it. I'm, I'm just not that hungry. I don't want to take that risk yeah. of but giving myself no, a disease. But there's no known jump of, no. from consuming, correct? No, 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 there's not. But really, and that's our standard statement on any animal that's sick. I'm just, you know, if it's got pneumonia <laughs> or another disease, it's just not, it's not worth the risk. Yeah. The same, same goes here. It's scary and kind of, you know, you know, the walking dead type of disease that's hard to explain, uh, but ultimately mm -hmm. get it, get just get it tested. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies to eat something that, you know, like it, even <laughs> though, like, like it just doesn't if, sound if that If you were at the, you know, uh, stockyards and yeah. there's a group of cows and one's drooling and shaking yeah. and emaciated, I, you know, I don't think I'm buying that, that one. Yeah. I'll pass. <laughs> right. I will say, it's like I would definitely, if I got a test and it came back positive, I'll be honest with you, even if it was safe, I'd kick it out. Yeah. yeah. But... I promise you that out there in Colorado or somewhere, there are hunters who have eaten, like plenty of hunters, mm -hmm. who have eaten CWD positive mule deer or whitetails or elk, and it's never been in a person, right? It right. No person it, has ever It's gone. never jumped a species barrier that we're aware of. Just and, and And so I think a lot of that, it goes back to the, the infectious agent, that prion protein, and where you see the majority of those 
the proteins in the body, in that in the spine, in the spinal cord, in the bones. And so what we'll recommend is if you're in the process of harvesting that deer or or removing the meat and and butchering it, don't break any bones. Mm -hmm. Just you know fillet the meat off the bone. Don't break that bone. Don't increase your amount of potentially infectious material that you're getting, mm -hmm. and just debone it. And that's why you see debone regulations and you know, just the meat. And the meat's fairly low in in that contagion agent. So um, you know it, your risk is lower. But now if you're taking a cross section of the spine and having a big T-bone, deer T-bone, I definitely would not recommend that. The um, <laughs> that, I've always wanted to try that though. Yeah. I think it looks good with the the bone on the mm -hmm. bone. I thought, I've always thought that looks fancy. I want to try it. So <laughs> the um, you were talking about deboning meat. That is specifically why Chad and myself shot a how to debone a deer video yep. in the field. And I would suggest people check that out if they want to see how to debone a deer. It's a really good video. It's on the Kentucky Field of mm -hmm. YouTube, um, and it shows you how to literally you walk out of the field with a bag full of meat and everything else is there. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> on that same note, um, say you want a Euro mount or you know get your deer mounted, um, you, that, that a membrane layer on the inside of the skull that goes mm -hmm. around the brain is something that should be removed too, yep. right? Yeah, can, so the, that's can you guys the, tell that I can't see right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're dealing with the sun. The sun came and started coming <laughs> through this window and that's why I got a little choked up. I could not see for a second there. This is better. Yes. Where I'm at now. But anyway, I'm sorry. You, it's you, a time of year. You know, talking about the deep on meat just okay. got me thinking about the steps a hunter can take. Um, so that's why I felt like <clears throat> throwing those out there, to be honest yeah. with you. But there was somewhere else I was going to go it's, a second ago. You were talking about some, you know, probably some taxidermy work and caping a deer. Yeah, how to and, leave the materials behind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we were also talking about eating deer and I, I'm, I'll be 100% honest with you guys. I'm sorry. I've lost my train you of thought. You know, I was doing some research before. There's really no definitive answer on what actually started CWD, correct? Oh, I remembered it. I remembered my question. Yeah, so to get to your question, Lee, no. So it was, you know, this unknown disease that came out of Colorado, northern Colorado, southern Wyoming, that was, you know, deer looked like they were wasting away and, and something just didn't seem right. And so that's kind of the research that went into it. And as we have come to learn, they're, you know, they're, CWD or chronic wasting disease and in, in cervids and deer species, but it's and I was explained this to a, a person who called today. It's it's in another host of or suite of diseases that are act similar that are all species specific. Mm -hmm. So most people have heard of mad cow. Yeah, that's why. And, I was and that's the exact same thing. It's just in beef, and then there's uh, scrapie, there's scrapie and yeah, sheep. And then there's a human variant form, um, and and they're all, like I said, they're all species specific um, to those. There's a mink form and a couple other things. But is it a feed related issue? I've read somewhere that, that there was some thought it might. Maybe be. you know, I don't know if they they 100% really know why uh, it, it developed. There's there's all kinds of theories out there, and I, I'd really be speculating on that, yeah. kind of getting out of my side, but. Yeah. It is what it is, and we know that it's here and just trying to evolve. And I think where a lot of the research and science is going right now with specifically CWD is a quicker test, a test that we can do in the field or mm -hmm. turn it around a lot quicker so you know. And that's the, the whole hard part is this, is that there just takes some time to get that test result back. And it has to be a, a test on an animal that's It'd be great dead. if you just draw blood and, yeah, oh, it's got it, but yeah, we're just anyway. We're just not there yet. Yeah, and that, or if you could just look at it, but hey, it takes an hour, a year and a half to yeah. maybe show something. I've yeah. seen some 
elk with meningea worm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, you pretty easily tell that something's wrong. You know, and that's, and that's where there's a lot of confusion. You know, CWD, it's, it's another acronym. We have other acronyms for diseases, EHD, and you mm -hmm. talked about brain worm and elk, and all these other things that cause the same kind of symptoms in an animal late onset in that disease. People say, "Ah, oh, we've already had it. We've had it here for years." No, I don't. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, and just, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a different disease. And EHD or hemorrhagic disease, blue tongue, we experience that in our in our deer herd every year in the state. Some years are bad. 07, 12, 15 mm -hmm. are were the big years. Um, you know, and, with the drought we had, I was yeah. worried it this year. But and we, and we have it some. We always, like I said, we always have it in Kentucky every year. But people see that because it's a it's a flash in the pan. It's a lot of dead deer in a very short period of time, and but it's here and it's gone. And what they don't realize is, yeah, there's a lot of deer that die, but just like the flu, as the example, there's lots of deer that get it, but overcome it. Then they have antibodies towards it, and they're going to have those antibodies for the rest of their life. Yeah. And why we see it cyclic in Kentucky is they're not exposed every year. Mm. So we see this three to five year cycle of HD mainly because they're exposed every three to five years. That, that whole cohort is dead within the life, the life cycle of a deer. And then you've got a bunch of naive animals again. Disease comes in, the vector species comes in, they're naive to it, they're highly susceptible to it. So, um, but they recover. In this case, there's no recovery yeah, to this. Yeah. They're, that, they're dead. I remember there were two things I was going to say before the sun took my <laughs> thoughts away. <laughs> the, the first thing was just going to be a stupid joke about mentors. Um, are they not mentors and like I'm taking a youth hunter, but mentors and half man, half horse. Oh. And I was going to make a stupid joke about uh, the disease being transmitted. Should those people work? Um, but <laughs> then you had also talked about education and you just hit on exactly where I wanted to go, which was, mm -hmm. you know, I see because I'm on social media and I read people's Facebook comments and I'm in all the groups and the pushback I get or that not that I get that I see against CWD and taking it seriously is usually EHD related. Yeah. People seem to want to focus on EHD or HD and, and be like, well, this is way worse. Or they, they say the thing that you just said, well, it's been here forever. 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 Yeah. Or I also see people sometimes point to an elk. I don't know this elk. It had a name. They're like, well, there's that elk that has CWD and it's had it for 19 years in Colorado and it hadn't died. Well, but there is no live test, so there's no way to know that. Yeah. If no. It's probably just a skinny elk, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, and there's there's been a lot of genetic work on, and we've seen this term being thrown out, disease resistant. There are some genetic, they're made, they're, I can't speak, genetically made up to where they're resistant to the disease. That was that was the big push a decade ago in elk. Yeah. And now we're seeing it whitetail. That is not true. What we have found is they might be more resistant to showing the signs through time. They still have the disease. They're just living longer, mm -hmm. which is actually worse because yeah. if you, it takes you three years to show signs of the disease, you've had it, you're You've spreading been spreading it that longer. for three years. Yeah. So they're not, they're not genetically resistant. They're, that's just not there in the wild at is all. Is meningeal worm fatal every time too? So meningeal worm is a, is a brain worm that gets in elk that affects our elk in the eastern U.S. That's not always fatal. Um, we're developing resistance through that in time. You know, we're still losing some elk every year from it, but, you know, we have many elk that survive that. Hmm. And the longer we have our elk population, the, you know, they're being challenged every year by that and building antibodies and surviving. So 
we see less and less of it through time uh, with our with our elk population. So say somebody you know is is playing devil's advocate. They're thinking, well, okay, well, EHD kills deer within seventy two hours. I see three of them in my pond. I saw three mm -hmm. of them in my pond in twenty seventeen, all yep. dead at the same time. Uh, you're saying EH or CWD takes years to kill a deer and you know you can't even tell if it has it for a year and a half i mean is this that serious you know that mm -hmm. that so why why should cwd be taken seriously in comparison to another disease like ehd so uh, to me it, it's it's could, a couple things that come to mind is you know with ehd it's virus we know we can predict it it responds and there's antibodies and deer can get it and survive um and there's no, really no con concern on the human health side of it. The deer can't transmit it either, can it? Right. No, it's not transmitted from deer to deer. And all it's all the opposite things for CWD. It's always fatal. Once you get it, you can't stop it. There's not a treatment. There's not a test for it. And then there's the concern that, you know, it's a food animal and, and it could we could get the disease in time. And, you know, for us, it's really kind of ignorant, if you will, to say, well, it's not going to be uh, an issue in my lifetime. No, it, it probably won't be. It won't be a, an issue in your lifetime, but your kids, or and I will say my grandkids, my my little kid, my kids are little right now, but my grandkids, mm -hmm. you know, if, if my kids have kids, CWD could really impact the population. And what we're seeing is that CWD seems to affect white-tailed deer higher, and and the prevalence is expanding quicker than it does in the West. Mm -hmm. Why is that? don't really know. Is it environmental? Is it just the genetic makeup of a deer? We don't know. And we're talking about a disease that's been on the landscape for 60 years. So a lot to be learned and a lot to know yet. So we don't want to, you know, it's a generational thing. I want to do the very best that I can as a manager that when I walk away from the job, I can say, you know, I did my best to try to protect this resource. And that's what we are as hunters. We want to leave it better than what we found it and manage the resource. And that's what we're asking you to do, and it just might be a little different. Mm -hmm. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Something else, you know, just talking about how this affects our deer herd. Here in Kentucky, we're, we always talk about, we bolster about, I see it done nationally. I see Realtree and Mossy Oak and people post in the top whitetail states, top states for trophy whitetails, right? Mm -hmm. And when I think about EHD and CWD and how they kill differently, right? The fact that CWD always kills and it takes up to three years or so to kill, as a person who enjoys hunting big bucks, that speaks to me, you know, because yep. you're talking about how this could affect people down the road. And and to me, what that says, and tell me if I'm wrong, Gabe, is that bucks over that five and a half or six and a half year old buck that we're talking about might be a harder animal to find in the future if this disease does have prevalence in the state or does spread across the state because deer just simply aren't going to live to be six and a half, seven and a half anymore. For sure. And that's what we're starting to see now in the east and other eastern states with whitetail is that their prevalence are so high where you're having 30 and 40 percent of your bucks have CWD and then they're just not able to get to four, five and six years old. And, and they're not dying from CWD. That's not what's causing their death. It's usually something else. What do you mean? So, so it, it, it basically is going to decrease their their overall health to where they're susceptible to winter. another disease or a winter kill or predation or being hit by a vehicle. And they're, they're just, it, you know, it's a death by a thousand cuts, but the one thing is driving it, it's chronic wasting disease. And so, you know, especially like Wisconsin, you've got wolves and you've got bears and they're eating, they're eating deer. 
-hmm. And so, you know, there are, yes, there are deer that die from CWD, but the majority are 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 dying from something else because the, mm. the CWD has greatly impacted them. But it, it could, like long-term with prevalence, which is not what we want to happen. But if that did happen, then you could say, yeah, the, that, the, you know, your top end bucks or the average age of a, of bucks harvested might see a decrease or something like that. Right. And, and so, you know, we know as hunters that age is part of the contribution for a quality set of antlers, but it's also health. So if you got a disease, you're still surviving. You're probably not the healthiest. So you're going to be skinny. You're not going to have extra resources to put into antler development. Mm. And so, yeah, they might be six or seven, but they might have antlers like a two-year-old deer. Mm -hmm. And it's just because they don't have enough quality nutrition or they're not able to process it to, to express to their full potential. That is kind of what deer do, isn't it? If they have a health concern like on their body, let's say a deer gets hit by a car they're pulling like the resources to heal that part of their body yep. from their antler development, right? Because mm -hmm. that's kind of a, ah, the antlers are a bonus, but I better take care of the, the main system here. For sure. And so, so the antlers would, um, you know, be kind of what the deer's bodies decided to sacrifice if they did get the disease, as far as just quality goes. But then also on top of that, they just might not be living to yeah. super old ages or those trophy ages. Multiple parts. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into to antler production and size and, and all that. And it's not just age and health and genetics and all those things. And, you know, kind of going back to that, the antler discussion, you know, in December, right now that we're in, you can start seeing some bucks shed their, shed their antlers. And most of the time it's, if they're shedding, this is early, but it's health related. They've been worn down from the rut or they got hit by a vehicle or, or shot and, and survived their health is very poor. So they, they cast those antlers off and they're, they're going to focus on eating as much as they can and increase that, that overall health by more food in the, in the tank. That makes perfect sense. Well, I'll tell you what, there are restrictions in place right now um, that have been in place. Nothing new has been put in place since yep. this last positive Correct. popped up. Yep. But there is still in the five county surveillance zone, still a baiting ban. To, mm -hmm. in place so no minerals or corn or anything on the landscape that yep. you place there i mean food plots and, and legitimate agricultural practices are still, are still good, good. Yep. Yeah. um and then statewide there is a carcass transportation ban where you can't bring a cervid in and a deer an elk a caribou a moose from anywhere mm -hmm. that you harvested it right and so that raised another stupid question about santa claus and are we <laughs> going to be watching for him you know I'm just, santa claus better just fly over kentucky you can't <laughs> land with them reindeer no, yeah no, we got bad news for the little kiddos no i'm yeah. just kidding no so that, i'll be honest with you gabe as far as this podcast goes i mean do you think that we have hit on a, a good deal of the info here i think we have we've plowed a lot of ground the problem yeah. the, the hard part about this one for me is that typically when we do a podcast i have a bow to put on it yeah i have the so, you know, fishing in this creek should be good right mm -hmm. now. You go, yeah. or, you know, so check out this page on the department's website. But this one is open-ended. And, you know, what what happens and, and what's going to happen is still kind of yet to yep. be determined. So it's a little bit tougher for me to put the bow on this one because it feels like it hasn't been concluded. But that's because the conclusion yet to be, yet to be had, right? Yeah, I would say stay tuned. Don't panic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, have confidence in us and we want to work with with our hunters and our landowners and do the right thing. We all have a vested interest in, in managing the resource and seeing the, the best possible outcome in this. And, and that's what our hope is as well. So, you know, time will tell, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am too. I have faith in, in 
you and the CWD team and the wildlife crew. And, you know, I, the, I have the benefit of knowing a lot of the people who are here, you know, knowing mm -hmm. them personally who are working on this. And that's a benefit that a lot of podcast listeners might not have. And, you know, my opinion as a sports person is it's the only reason I have this job is because I like to hunt fish. I'll be 100% honest with you. And that's who I am first and foremost. But my opinion of, of how it's going to be handled from a sports person's point of view is with confidence. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still yet to be seen how it all works out, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. If somebody wanted to see the CWD response plan, it's on the website right now. If you go to fw.ky.gov, the homepage of the website, there's a tile right there. Mm -hmm. um, it's the tile to the far left. It's right there on the homepage. If you're on mobile, it might be the top one. But um, you can click on that, and it has a link to the CWD response plan. It has more information on the disease. It has maps. It has, uh, I think, our testing data that we've already mm -hmm. ran. It shows the numbers that we've pulled across the state and per county. So there's a lot of information there. There's external links to, I think, USDA or U.S. Uh, Department G of Health. Yeah, GS too. Yeah, I'm, yeah. All, bunch, all kinds of them. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of info there if somebody wanted to learn more. And if you want to go to the YouTube page we have, they mm -hmm. can watch the presentation that was given in front of the commission this morning. It's public record as yep. well. And, and I will say, too, you type in CWD on Dr. Google, and you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. And so I would say vet your sources, go to reliable sources that that you trust are, are good and stick away from opinion pieces mm -hmm. on people's opinion on disease transmission. And, and um, you know, like I said, it, it can scare you, but don't panic. We don't want you to panic. We're not panicking either. Yeah. No, that sounds good. 32 states have it. And, yeah. You know. We're number 32. Mm -hmm. All right. What number of state were we to the union lay? Um, I want to say we were 1792. Um, 14th or 15th? 15th. I'm going to check, check later. I'm going to see okay. if you're right. See where we were. So <laughs> we're right. probably pretty early. Well, guys, I'll say we yes. call it quits. Um, I'm going to go potentially try to harvest a deer. That's good. Right, right. right now. I'm going to go. Um, and then so if people check out the CWD page. Um, there are drop-off stations across the state where you can just drop your deer off. Like Gabe said, he would have his tested, especially in the western part of the state. Um, so you can literally drop off your deer head in a cooler. The locations are on the department's website. You'll get a little card. You can go check the results later, see if it was positive or negative. At this point in time, chances are vastly that they're going to be negative. Yep. Um, but, you know, you never know. Mm -hmm. So, all right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and hit the end button over here. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. Yep, sounds good, guys. Thank you.